As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. You're listening to the Wild 7 Podcast Network. Listen different. Welcome back to the 75th annual bird mating call competition. Well, it's been one heck of a show so far, hasn't it, Nigel? That's right, Roger. We've seen species after species of birds singing their love songs, as it were. Absolutely gorgeous. Absolutely gorgeous. Yes, now I notice the morning doves. They haven't paired up yet, have they? Eh, the females have been looking rather nonplussed, as it were. Well, they haven't heard the mating call that's gonna do it for them. No, they haven't. I fear the dove may go the way of the dodo. Well, let's hope it doesn't come to that. Here comes another male bachelor stepping up to the female plate. Let's hear what he has to sing. Yes, a trifle ordinary, isn't it? A somewhat run-of-the-mill mating call. Indeed. Well, the females aren't having it at all. Too bad. And here comes the next suitor. No dice, Dove. I mean, what does he expect? He did the same exact mating call as the last one. One of these guys better sing good or else the girls are going home. And here comes one more. Let's see what he's got. Bingo. And the ladies love it. That dove put the bird back in the birds and the bees. In the words of Alex Rogers. 
Episode 29, Will the Sap Snap? That way. Keep going. You're almost there. Warmer. Warmer. Disco. Welcome back, my friends. This is Alex Rogers, recording and reporting from a timeless zone in which your listening is the now. And let's just settle on in and keep it groovy now. I don't want any of you cool cats to get too heated, you hear? You dig? You want to just keep it real smooth. Welcome back, my friends, and uh, I apologize. I do apologize. Yana, please extend my humble apologies to the people in the public. Um, yes, I, uh, I'm, I'm a little late uh, on this episode drop. Um, some of you might be thinking, oh, well, I never get to it till a month later anyway. And some of you may be saying, yeah, we were wondering. I mean, come on, man. We were waiting for the next episode. You know, it it, it could have been the newest, uh, season of whatever's happening on HBO or even, uh, a mind-numbing, uh, quote-unquote reality show that's in its 77th season. But we were waiting for you, man, because we believe in your podcast, your words, your words. Well, the reason I'm late is, uh, well, first of all, I should I should know better than to uh, record an episode on the day of the drop. But uh, this was a busy week with many little twisty turns and and tumbly twos and tiddly tuts and tiddly beep and it was hard to get uh, a lot of things done including getting uh, an episode done in a timely fashion well then i figured well i have a whole day to get it done and after all you know once we get the cold open done which uh, which in my defense in my defense yona the cold open with those funny little boys that we all had a chuckle or two over well, that was done in time but this episode was delayed because, man, I got clobbered this morning with one of my migraines. Now, I'm not sure if I've ever talked about it on the show yet, but um, they're better nowadays. But throughout my life, I've known a particularly awful form of headache, which really can be called a migraine. I used to get them a lot as a kid, <clears throat> and... Um, they were pretty bad about, mm, I don't know if it was once a week, but I got them enough to be very familiar at a young age of this terrible headache-stomachache combination. And uh, sorry, folks, I think uh, I paused back there because I thought maybe there was just one plane going over, but uh, that sounds like a helicopter. 
and probably there's some kind of manhunt happening just outside the window. So, um, we're just gonna have to roll with this, folks, because I can't pause every time, uh, this helicopter takes a, a pass over here. This is the LAPD. You're wanted for a mediocre show. Please relinquish your half-funny antics and get yourself off while it's still a self-respecting time. Hell no, I'm not gonna do that. I'm just getting started here. Well, anyway. Today was just unfortunately a wash, as they say. Um, just woke up feeling ill. And, uh, oh, and what I was saying earlier, too, is yes, just this, this thing I've known throughout my life. And it's often stress-induced or, indeed, not enough water, not enough sleep, and everything else combined. And luckily, nowadays, it's more like... All right, your time is due. You haven't been, uh, you've been going a couple months now without any headaches, but now it's time to pay the piper. And um, we got to look that up one day, paying the piper. I'm sure there's a real reason for that. Um, but it is pretty funny if there was a piper there who's just like, I'm not going to pay until you play me. Whoops, got my words mixed up there, but... Um, it's even funnier to think of a piper saying, I'm not going to pay until you play. Wow. Uh, but anyway, this is uh, just a, a day that was spent in, um, well, gosh, I tried to get up and then I had to make a rush uh, for the old, as they say, the porcelain god. Yep, it was that bad. And I will, I will spare you of the details of that, but uh, it was one of those things where I had to kind of heave out everything and hope for the best. And you know what's funny is you always feel really good after that. After you upchuck all your fucking mess, you feel kind of, wow, about 10, 15 minutes go by where you're like, you know what? I think I'll get back to that decathlon. And then uh, whatever was troubling you might start to creep back in. And that certainly is for me. It just, uh, it was it was bad, man. I couldn't stand up straight. Everything was a chore. I was just like, because uh, 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 it's just, you know, your stomach hurts and your head hurts. I, I listened to, oh man, a really good interview that's been recommended to me for a long time, and I can't believe I didn't hear it sooner, but uh, the Mark Maron interview with Paul Thomas Anderson. Some great laughter and film knowledge dropped throughout that whole interview. And I was sprawled out on the couch with my arm thrown over my eyes because it also just light is so painful when I got this migraine thing. And uh, any movement, I feel like I'm going to throw up again. And, you know, this is the worst part when you feel like you're going to keep on throwing up. What are you going to do? Eat something? Well, that's too hard. All right, take a sip of water. Oof, that's a chore too. All right, just breathe. Oh, does that require like motions in my torso, especially my stomach? Like, ah, oh. the shit really sucks. But the interview was helping me. I just kind of closed my eyes and I listened to that. And eventually, I just had to let myself turn everything off. The interview, the lights, the everything. And just let sleep take over. 
And it is pretty interesting how if we just let go and drift into the ananda of the Zs, um, we get into some good self-healing. I can't explain it. And that's the best part is no one can. It has nothing to do with explanation. The body just patches itself together if you give it a chance. And as long as it's not something too crazy. Because at the end of the day, it was just a migraine. But fuck, that shit hurts. I am grateful to say that it does not happen as much. But it almost makes sense that when it happens, it's almost making up for what used to be uh, dues collected far more often. But for those of you out there who may find yourselves, and especially maybe any younger listeners, you're all right. That I can say for me that in my younger years, that was because of a lot of stress and trying to surf a lot of uh, difficult things that are mm, rhythms set before you have a chance to know the beat by those who are walking the earth who are a little older than you and perhaps not as caring as you would like them to be. We'll leave it at that because uh, I believe enough of you can relate to that notion without getting into specifics. So funny. And again, I don't know if you can hear this helicopter or not, but I used to really freak out about helicopters. I, I just, I don't know. I mean, I smoke a lot of weed and it's legal in California. It's pretty passe these days. But I think there was a time where I thought, oh, oh shit, they're after me. <laughs> and not just because of weed smoking. I just, uh, for various reasons or another, I've had this guilt complex throughout my life. So if I hear sirens, if I hear helicopters, there's this part of me that's like, well, what did I do? Well, well, is it me? But you know, it's funny. And, uh, and I'm only going to give a little broad stroke to this one because I want to save the meat of this uh, matter for another time. But I wrote a novella, and the central hero in it is a helicopter pilot. And he has a special kind of helicopter. And funny enough, when I began writing this story, I was getting into the menacing feelings that I felt about a helicopter. And I'm not alone in this. Helicopters can be a little freaky, right? I mean, we know if you've watched Apocalypse Now, there's a lot of PTSD going on with helicopters. And even just being a sensitive, breathing, living creature on planet Earth, that sound can be invasive. I mean, they don't call it a chopper for nothing. That shit is, is, is slicing up the air, and it can make you feel a little, oh, uh, you know, unless, of course, you're in the pilot seat, and you're going, look at that! Look at those waves part down there! <laughs> and meanwhile, you're hearing that, bum, bum, ba-dum, bum, 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 ba-dum, bum, bum. Anyway, all that is to say, Apocalypse Now is a fucking great movie, and uh, there isn't enough time to talk about that on this episode, um, but uh, do get onto that one. We'll get into it another time. However, that does lead us into some film talk, and uh, <laughs> about, I think, two episodes ago, we were talking about some uh, 4th of July movies, and there was one important aspect to the Jaws talk that I was doing that I forgot to mention. 
And I'm laughing already because it partially, well, not partially, it directly teases my dear mother. Now, we know my mother. She made uh, an amazing appearance on the show uh, a couple episodes ago for a Mother's Day appearance. And we had a wonderful conversation. And y'all got to know the unique beyond words mama of mine. And she mentioned that your kids will keep you laughing because they're pretty darn hilarious. And I would counter, you know, being blessed with a great connection with my mom, there's room for also laughter there. You know, and, and, and thinking about that, that's a very important aspect. To have a good connection between parent and child, there should be a healthy room for some funny teasing between the two. Some good, you know, like, ah, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> you know, if you can get there. And, and there's one very funny memory that we both have, actually. See, when I was a, a little one, that was the VHS generation. And what's so cool about that is that you would just, you know, physically walk down. <laughs> Before you sat on a couch and you scrolled through some streaming service and saw these little thumbnails and you found yourself for two hours going, I still haven't picked anything. You used to physically walk down the aisles of video stores and you couldn't not see all of those great covers to the Jaws movies. Now, look, we all kind of know once we watch them that they get pretty shitty two onwards. So none of the sequels are really that great. But what all of the Jaws movies have in common are amazing covers, especially when you're a kid. And the only cover that really actually mostly matches what actually happens and looks like in the movie is the first one. Although, quick little aside, I must mention the first Jaws movie that I ever saw because uh, Jaws 1 wasn't uh, available when we went to the video store. So the newest one that had come out at that point, because this was the early 90s, was a late 80s film called Jaws The Revenge. Now this is part four, and the tagline for it is, This time... It's personal. And uh, that was my first movie, knowing who Michael Caine was. Now, this wasn't Michael Caine in the 60s, where he's like, You was only supposed to blow the bloody doors off. And it wasn't quite as far along where you, where, where you hear him in, in the Batman movies, where he's older, and he's sounds like this, and... And I must admit, I wouldn't really know the difference if I hadn't seen Rob Brydon and Steve Coogan do their shtick on it. Y'all look up that one. But, uh, but Michael, Mar Michael Kine, he's in Joe's The Revenge. And there's a great line where he narrowly avoids death, swimming away from the shark. And when they pull him on board, he looks to them and he says, You should have smelt the breath on him. <laughs> I also heard that some smarmy reviewer went up to him and said, uh, and have you watched Jaws 4? <laughs> you know, trying to allude that he made a bad choice and like, have you watched this monstrosity of an embarrassing movie? You know, trying to be all gotcha. To which apparently Michael Caine replied, no, but I've seen the home that it bought me on an island. Something to that effect. 
but it is great. Like, why not? I'm already a world legend. They want me for Jaws 4, and it's going to get me my next house on an island. Let's do this. What do you want me to say? You should have smelled the breath on him? I can do that. But the proper Jaws memory I really actually had meant to bring up before I went into... portal into Jaws 4 is let's go back to Jaws 1, the classic, the game changer, the one that some naysayers like to kill the fun and go, well, it's technically known as the first blockbuster, which ruined the auteur movement. And while I loved the auteur movement and I wish it hadn't ended, I'm not about to blame Jaws because Jaws is a legitly well-made movie. If it happened to become a blockbuster, well, that's let's blame marketing that made people get too hysterical over it. But by its own merits, by its own play viewing, it's brilliant. And uh, I remember, though, before I could see it, you know, well, first of all, I'm a kid, so probably better that I didn't have access to it until my parents thought, okay, I guess, you know, he, he can watch this. But the point is, in my time period, in my time period, there was no uh, YouTube capabilities. Nothing that could even allow me to uh, view a sneak peek. I could only go off of descriptions that my parents would give me of various scenes. So, there I am, little kid, imagining things. Because I've seen this cover. Oh my god, there's this giant fuck-off shark as Eddie Izzard would say, a big fuck-off shock. Huge thing coming up, and this lady swimming, and you know she's about to become the shark's dinner. And uh, I asked my mom, does that happen in the movie? And so (laughs) my mom says, oh, yeah. I saw that movie in 1975. I went on a date And I went to go see that film. And it's really well done. And she's taking me through it. She's taking, and I'm I'm a little kid. I'm seeing everything she's describing to me. And she says, the thing is, way before you ever see the shark, you only are looking through its vision, its point of view. So you're going under the water and you're going through little kelp forests and over coral reefs. And then you see a pair of legs and they're just sort of kicking in the water. And then you, as the shark, you start getting closer and closer to just like the silhouette of these legs. And you're getting closer and the music's going dun, 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 dun. And then it just fades to black. Right when you get up to her legs, it just fades to black. Wow. Now, of course, as a kid, that's scary enough. And, you know, even a part of me as that small child, well, I had two thoughts. I remember thinking, well, that's that's kind of smart that they would get, you know, kind of build up that suspense and then just kind of fade to black. And then you just come to the next scene. So it's kind of suggested. But there is even a part of me thinking, well, uh, I would have, you know, wanted to maybe see some of that horror. You know, once you get up to those legs, what happens next? Well, 
Here we finally come to the moment where my parents allow me to watch Jaws. And look, man, you can't blame any parents if they... It's like, you let your kid watch that? Well, gee, um, er, even a parent who knows nothing about Jaws, they have no reason to suspect anything terrible because you look at that back of that box and it says PG. I'm not making this up. That scary-ass traumatizing film from which made many people never go to the beach ever again which has scenes of people being eaten alive is rated pg very funny and you know that's marketing you know that's like listen we're gonna get families in here we're gonna make a lot of money off of this shark shit so let's fucking pgify it now um so we finally rent it I finally get to watch this movie, Jaws. Sure enough, this scene is playing out. This woman's getting into the water. Hell, we've already established in the opening shot that we are that POV, that we are the shark cruising through the water. Here we go. We're going up to her legs, and I'm thinking, okay, but it's probably going to fade to black, as my mother described it. And then, as all of us who know that movie very well, no! There ain't no fade to black. You know what happens? As soon as you get so up close to her legs to where you can bite them, it then cuts to her treading water, and she goes... And she is screaming and getting thrashed around and thrown around. And then, of course, she has that brief respite where she grabs onto the buoy and she's going, Oh, Jesus. Oh, God. Oh, God. And then she gets sucked right back out and tossed around and thrashed about and then dragged under the water. And then it's silent. And all we hear is the dong, dong of the buoy or whatever and just like the water and then it's a bit of a cross dissolve to the next moment point is no fade to black and a lot more than what my mother described oh and i think i left at one point i think she did say that before it fades to black you kind of do hear some screaming she remembers the screaming part now (laughs) i who never leave anything alone uh, go up to my mother and I say, well, okay, so I saw this scene. There was no fade to black. There was a lot more going on. There was a whole horror show. There was a woman being eaten alive, being physically <laughs> murdered. And my mom goes, oh, well, maybe in, instead of it fading to black, it's because I was covering my eyes the whole time. <laughs> Ah, I love you, Mom, if you're listening to this. You've been delighting me forever, and that's pure comedy right there. That That is comedy. Uh, man, well, allow me to not fade to black, but do a cross-dissolve here to some further cinematic discussions. Um, yeah, man, I, something about having read Quentin Tarantino's novel of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood just sparked my curiosity to really do a classics deep dive. I told you all in the last episode that 
you know, I, I kind of had a, had a prejudice to anything before shit got cool in the 60s onwards. And I'm loosening up and actually exploring some older movies. Here's the beautiful thing, man. There are so many westerns and film noir. And, you know, I don't really know why we call that genre of film film noir. Is it because it's kind of darker or just kind of it's uh, moodier? or uh, I don't know, but usually that means that there's some... Um, detective stuff or crime life stuff going down and um man there's been some really good discoveries and aside from those 50s and early 60s examples there is a discovery i'm making that a lot of movies in the 40s are pretty fucking badass and they're quite adult and I'm, I'm, right now, I'm just having this sort of renaissance curiosity about the uh, film noir detective genre. You know how it is. The whole, like, <laughs> it was a sheltery night, and I sat in my office thinking, what am I going to do with myself as I rolled myself a tobacco and or marijuana cigarette? In walked in this broad, this dame, this lady of the hour, this femme fatale who told me, I have a proposition for you. My husband has been seeing another woman, and I believe that this will lead to a bigger plot point. All right, sweetheart, give me the money, and then I'm going to get my ass beaten by a lot of dudes, but I'm also going to keep getting up, and I'm going to keep fighting until I find the truth, which is probably going to be that you were the bad guy the whole time. So there you go. It's that formula. And it's that voice, baby. It starts for me. You know, I, I, I thought to myself, okay, where am I going to start on this? Well, I'm going to start with a title that I, used, that I I saw long ago when I was a teenager. And it's The Maltese Falcon. John Huston directed. Humphrey Bogart. And dude, you know what I've... First of all, that movie is great. Excellent dialogue. Really well made. And... When you get older, like when you get into your 30s, the way I am now, and you kind of start to notice some things that you didn't notice before, and there's something I'm really digging about the cinema that I've been watching here from the 40s, they treat their presumably adult audiences like adults. Very few things are being spoon-fed or overly explained to you in these movies. And for example... There are clearly, like Peter Lorre and Sidney Greenstreet, they're clearly gay. And their characteristics and just sort of their viewpoint, and there's no mention of it. There's no, uh, you know, pointing it out in some line to have to explain to the dummy in the far row, like, well, what's going on? No, it's just, you get it. You're like, oh, okay. There are moments where you see Humphrey Bogart just kind of, checking out the the lady who is uh, of interest in the movie and she's pacing his office and you just kind of see his eyes dart up and down just kind of checking her out there's no close-up on his face there's no close-up on her uh, there's no close-up on where he's looking on her you just see an adult man looking at an adult woman and his eyes just kind of dart up and down and it's something you would only notice because it's there in the picture so I, I, I love that. And, and uh, another one I watched that was great, 
The Naked City. I think that title was known a little more popularly for the series that happened thereafter, but The Naked City is an amazing police procedural. And I love these early 40s police procedurals. For example, one of the absolute best is Akira Kurosawa's Stray Dog. Oh, folks, do yourself a favor and watch that. That's one of the most amazing examples of like day in the life of cop life and also figuring out figuring out like where do we find this guy in a city of too many people and all that shit and just a good example of an early moment from a from an amazing director but this movie the naked city it had a kind of similar feel and this one was great because also it had this voiceover who i found out was the producer and he, they did this really great way of sort of establishing scenes without having to watch all the nuance of every moment. So, for example, there's a part where it's soaring over the city and you're hearing the voice say like, This is the naked city, New York. You'll see all kinds of activity here. And then it will cut to like people in the street. And instead of seeing their actual conversations, you'll just see them kind of going about. And it's almost, you know what it reminded me? It's almost like America's Funniest Home Videos, where you have this voiceover being like, how you doing today, Marjorie? Not too bad. We'll see you later. That's if I don't see you first. You know, just like, and you're seeing daily life, even when you see some of the police detectives in in in-between moments where they're kind of asking people. And it's like, have you seen this picture, ma'am? Have, or have you seen the man in this picture? Is that, God, what am I trying to say here? Have you seen the man in this picture, ma'am? Boy, that's a that's a hard one. I wouldn't say that if I were a cop. I'd be like, hey, can I say something with fewer tongue twisters? You know, I'm trying to get a job done here. But um, really cool. And, and this awesome Irish cop main character. He's this man who sort of sounded like this. And he's fixing every moment very carefully. And he's considering every possible activity. And he's got a great sense of humor as well. And he likes his younger assistant. He even says, I like the boy. He's making the same mistakes I did when I was his age. It was just, it's a cool kind of buddy cop dynamic between this old, hardened, seasoned cop and this kind of gee whiz, you know, coming up in the ranks cop who, who of course, on this day, and this we, we know this trope, the younger guy in this movie, this is the day where he sees the shit and he's going to go from kind of fresh-faced cop to his first real notch on his gun, you know? So uh, that was awesome. And then I think one of the reasons I woke up with a terrible migraine today is because I had such little sleep, but... I got to say it was kind of worth it because another good old black and white 1940s, everything that I would have thought, ugh, no, I'm not into that, of a movie that I saw last night that I had no idea was directed by Fritz Lang, legendary German director, sci-fi visionary, um, everything. Well, he did this really cool adult tale. And I mean that the way adult sometimes is intended when we say that word, meaning strong sexual themes. But it was a a fantastic movie I knew nothing about called Scarlet Street. And it starred Edward G. Robinson. Now, even you kiddos out there know who Edward G. Robinson is because we've all known this voice. Nah, she... 
I got something to tell you, see? And I ain't gonna take any more of your nonsense here, see? So put him up or I'll plug you full of lead, see? That guy with the lips curled back and saying, see? And, and by the way, I don't know if he's actually ever really said those words. It's kind of like, like back to Michael Caine, for some reason people give him this quote which he never said, but it would have been so funny. He was in this movie Zulu, where it's, you know, a bunch of European dorks getting their asses kicked for a minute by these awesome Zulu warriors. Um, you kind of wish it kept going that way, but of course it obligatorily has the, and then the brave colonists won the day. But uh, Michael Caine apparently has a line, and I waited for it, and he never says it, says it where he goes, don't you throw them bloody spears at me. And uh, he never said that. So I don't know if Edward G. Robinson ever really has said, nah, she, but that's the guy we attribute that sound to. Well, in this movie, Scarlet Street, he isn't that dude. He's not like a wisecracking gangster. He's actually uh, kind of a, a bought and sold simp. He's the sap as I'm learning this term. He's the guy who's going to fall for the dame and get uh, kind of, you know, dragged around by her. But here's the most important thing that I want to make clear here, folks. And this is just my interpretation, but I don't think I'm completely wrong here. But again, back to how the 1940s movies are just showing you adult situations and not explaining anything to you. But essentially what Scarlet Street is about is this kind of loser sap dude who one night meets a hoe and thinks he's saving her from her pimp when in fact the pimp and the hoe are going to hatch a plan to take this guy for one wild ride of taking advantage of him. And uh, she's great, by the way. Joan Bennett. I know nothing about her but I was mesmerized by her and her performance. And it was great. And it was like, she didn't give a fuck. She was just raw. And you and I honestly thought I was looking at, like, this is a woman of the streets who is hustling this man and nothing stops her. And not to spoil the movie, but it also did the classic thing where we kind of go, okay, is this guy going to remain a sap forever? Or is he going to snap at some point? Will the sap snap? Well, I guess you're going to have to see for yourselves. But yeah, those are some really good titles right there. So just to to go over it again in case you all want to make some notes, uh, here's some 1940s classics that I highly recommend. The Maltese Falcon, The Naked City, and Scarlet Street. Man, I can't wait to keep watching. I've got I've got so many oldies on the way. I, I'm I'm getting some DVDs from the library now that the library is starting to open back up again, and uh, and so many of these are also out there on not just streaming services you have to pay for, but some of them are just free, man. I I just I love it. It's so cool. You know, I'm talking to good old. Mr. Nas Red, he brought up something. He said, you hit a cinematic ceiling after a while where you kind of have exhausted one avenue of cinema. And then suddenly 
a portal opens up and you deep dive into some shit that you either kind of knew about or even saw, but now you're seeing it with new eyes. So I'm looking forward to that. I hope during this next week, no matter what challenges or hardships are facing you, that you can still get into that good little wonder of exploring some stories that delight you and that maybe come from a time and a place and a form that you weren't so hot about before. That in fact maybe is sparking some little lights that have been waiting to glow till this very moment. I'll talk to you all again real soon. In the mean in between, thank you for your time. Thank you for your rhyme. In the Words of Alex Rogers is a podcast orbiting the mothership of Wild 7 Studios. Music by Inca Rose. Keep your ears open for storyscapes, simpin' after dark, and other audio goodies from Wild 7. And keep your eyes open for its first feature-length film, Debbie and the Devil.